1%. That is the average reply rate to a cold email, according to Clearbit. And how about you? That's a that's a lot of emails. To send 100 emails out to get a reply, of which half will probably be some form of unsubscribe or take me off your list, is that's a lot of work. And today what we're going to get into is the state of cold email and how you can get double-digit reply rates and not just waste so much time putting spam inside your prospective buyer's inboxes. Before we get to that, my name is Jason Bay. Thanks for checking out Outbound Squad. We're on a mission to help you turn complete strangers into paying customers. So if you're a AE or SDR that's doing a lot of prospecting to land meetings, or you're an account executive taking deals to the finish line or leading any of those folks, you're definitely in the right place. So cold email. I think there's a couple of things that are I think I don't I don't know if underrated underlooked is probably the better way to say it about cold email that make it very, very hard. I think the first thing to take in consideration is that email volume as a whole has increased dramatically for our prospects in the tune of billions more emails that people are getting per year right now than they were two, three, even four years ago. And a big reason for that is sales engagement platforms. Uh, a slide I like to show when I'm giving talks is if you Google G2's list of sales engagement tools, there's like 50 tools in there. That's not even all of them. And for a few dollars a month, 10 bucks a month, and there are more expensive solutions than that, of course, for 10 bucks a month. And if you find a way to get some email addresses, which you can get a lot of them for free, that's the barrier of entry right now for cold email. That is what you're competing against. You're competing against all the spam and all of the other salespeople that sell a non-competing solution to yours, all of the people and internal that are trying to get into your buyer's inbox. That's what we're competing against. So the way to really stick out is what I call a mobile-ready email. Mobile-ready email is formatted for the screen because prospects are eight times more likely to, according to Lavender, open up an email on their phone versus desktop. And when I ask this question to audiences, usually people will be first to open an email on their phone and respond via desktop. So it's got to be mobile friendly. So a couple quick tips. You can't scroll. If you got to scroll on mobile, it's too long. It's got to be four to five sentences, 75 words or less. And the paragraphs have to be one sentence, two sentences tops. It's got to be super easy to skim. So what we're going to talk about in today's live training, this is an audio excerpt from a conversation I had with Jen over at Demand Jen, Jen Allen, and then Colby Hogan, who is a corporate account executive over at Zoom Info. We're going to talk about everything from email framework. We're going to talk about do's and don'ts with email. We're going to talk about all the data. We're going to give you lots of really good examples, and then we're going to answer some questions. So without further ado, let's get to the show. talk about cold email so a couple things i want to thank our sponsor zoom info uh been a big very big fan of zoom info for a, for a long time now but uh one of the things i i really like from our client's perspective is that the tool just does so much more than getting you email addresses and phone numbers now so it's a really good just comprehensive tool in the tech stack so check out zoom info they got lots of great content on their website as well excited for two speakers today uh colby just met Colby a couple of weeks ago. He's a corporate account executive at Zoom Info. 
uh, crushes on the cold email side of things. And I imagine Colby, most of the reps are like this at Zoom Info, but you're an account executive who also does a lot of outbound and self-sourcing pipeline and that sort of stuff. So it's good to have you. Uh, Jen Allen, founder at Demand Gen. We've done a lot of stuff together, big fan of your content as well. And uh, specifically the stuff that you're doing around cold email, we're going to dig into today. And then if you're checking out Outbound Squad for the first time, my name is Jason. Uh, we do sales training, coaching, all that kind of stuff for, for software sales teams. So uh, we're just going to kind of get right to it. Again, we want to answer as many questions as we can. So the Q&A, if you could put your questions into there, we're going to do a couple things. Our goal today is to, one, we're going to talk about what Jen refers to as the mental spam filter. And why don't you keep your commentary on that real quick, actually, because I thought this is a really kind of novel idea. You're not like literally talking about the spam filter in the inbox. What are you referring to here with the mental spam filter? Yeah. And I got to give credit where credit is due. I did not come up with this terminology. It's from Will Allred. Um, the mental spam filter is effectively a coping mechanism. It is something executives often don't really even realize that they have where they are able to go into their inbox and without even opening our cold email, be able to spot that it is a cold email by our subject line and by our preview text. So we'll talk more about this, but this is a pattern that our executives are using to manage an inbox that is just getting totally out of control. Yeah, there's certain things that we, I don't know, hopefully unintentionally do in our emails. We're going to show some screenshots that like really tip off these red flags that it's it's subconscious behavior really that people use to triage their inboxes. So um, two, we're going to talk about differentiation. So Colby's got some really cool plays that we're going to check out today. Just things that we can do that uh, really to compete. I don't know, you two, I'm assuming have seen the AI generated cold emails. Does it scare you when you see that stuff right now? What do you guys think, Colby and Jen? Do they, does the AI capability scare you right now? Or are you kind of like, ah, whatever. It's not really that big of a deal. I'm kind of like all, you know, it's whatever, not too big of a deal. Um, Cause I mean, for a long time, people have used sequences and email campaigns and kind of the rip and repeat and, you know, blasting a ton of people. Um, I think some of the AI can come off kind of like those sequences. Of course, it wouldn't be as canned. It would be a little bit more personalized to them, but I don't always see them coming across as, you know, a person reaching out to another person, right? It kind of could fall into that mental health or that mental spam filter that, uh, that Jen was referring to. Yeah, yeah, I'm not I'm not threatened by it, but some of them are scary, but I'm not threatened by it. I think there's still a long ways to go. It's not to say it won't get there, but there's a long ways to go for it to learn as much as I think some of the sellers on this call even know about what's good and bad for cold emails. Yeah, I always refer to AI. Uh, I think that AI right now is an extra set of hands. I don't really think it's an extra brain right now. It's like really that. good for busy work, but in terms of doing the thinking for you and telling you what to say, I think AI is really dumb. AI is like, I was going to say something really inappropriate. Actually, I won't say AI is really <laughs> stupid. Okay. When it comes to this stuff, I do I think it's know. great at like populating really helpful data for you and giving you insight on what's working and what isn't though. So uh, nothing we talked about today is going to talk about how AI is going to replace your job in terms of email. Um, okay. So a couple of other, you know, kind of quick things that I want to share. Let's open this back up here. 
uh, we're going to give you some frameworks and tactics and that sort of stuff. But I thought what would be kind of fun first to get some interaction from everyone. We're going to play a game of Never Have I Ever. Okay. So I'm about to launch a poll here. Uh, first question in the poll. Let's launch it here. Okay. So let us know. We're going to ask you three questions, and I was hoping that these would actually show up individually. So I kind of threw them all at one side idea. <laughs> let us know in the poll, have you ever sent a cold email with a bullet list of all of your products or features? Give us a yes or a no on that first question. Second question is, have you ever used these words or phrases in a cold email? And then lastly, have you ever sent the same exact cold email to 50 prospects or more and maybe change the name of the company or the first name? And again, my bad, this poll launched with all of these questions at once. So go ahead and answer those questions real quick. This will give us a good idea. <laughs> yeah, I feel you, Jen. Guilty as charged. Yeah. Did you know. know that we're going to increase your sales? We're the only company on the planet to do it. I'm guilty of every single one of these and not just once, many times. Ross says I'm getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> Ross, your boss is listening. You're out. Yeah, let us know. I see a ton of votes still coming in. We'll give you guys a couple more seconds. I mean, I want to say when, Jen, we'll start with you. What year did you send your first cold email? If you can mm. remember kind of roughly. <laughs> 2004. If you can believe that emails existed at that time. So that was that was definitely before there were any kind of automation tools. Um, like I feel like all of the sales engagement tools, I don't think people realize they're they're only about like 10 years old. Yeah, yeah. The first cold email I sent, I think it was in 2011. And it was, there was like this tool. I can't remember what it, maybe Tout app or something like that. You couldn't even thread the follow-up in the same email chain it was a little crazy um here let's end the poll so here's what you guys can look at here it looks like yeah over the half of the group has sent a bullet list of all the stuff that they do about a quarter of the group have used those words and phrases and the reason why i show this this is literally like hubspot's guidelines for words to avoid putting into an email because it'll go to the spam filter and then sending the same exact email to a prospect, more than 50 prospects in bulk at a time. The reason why I ask this question is, you know, when your friends ask you what you do for a living, does anyone here tell them that you're a spammer? Because that's exactly, you know, what you're doing. And it really creates an experience for the buyer that looks a lot like this. So what I would love to know, uh, Colby, we'll start with you. Um, this is a picture of my inbox. I don't know what your inbox looks like, but I took a screenshot of all the cold emails that I get. For When you're looking at this, what just like screams, this is a, a cold email that's sales related from someone that I don't know. What like really sticks out to you in a bad way if you were to get specific? Um, I mean, I guess the subject lines, um, they don't, don't really stand out in any way. And I can kind of just tell right off the bat that, hey, this might be, you know, salesperson or marketing person trying to sell me something. Um, it doesn't really call out anything specific or, you know, anything that would catch your eye specifically. Yeah. So subject lines, you talk about a lot, Jen. Talk about the subject lines that you see here on the screen. Yeah. And kind of like I think, maybe how you think about subject lines too. Yeah. So I think the toughest part about cold email is 
one, nothing never works, nothing always works. And two, things that worked last month might not still be effective today. So perfect example of that is the number of people who are putting your first lane, first name in the subject line. Question, Jason. Jason, I'm sending you a gift. Jason, outbound. Like, dude, if this email is to one person, I know that it is to me, Jason. And so things like this used to be a really effective tactic to show someone, hey, I couldn't write an email to, to a million people and put your first lane. Now that we have marketing automation, anybody can do that. And so if we even look in our own personal inboxes, we can recognize that pattern. We don't show up differently B2C versus B2B. So if I can see that in my personal inbox, I can recognize that it's probably a spam email in my business email box as well. So first names is definitely one. And then the second is just like, there's clear, you know, insert company name here stuff, like qualified appointments for outbound squad. I don't even have to look at this email to guess that that email was probably sent to a thousand other companies with the same exact text, just fill in company name here. Yeah. So let's look at some of the data. Well, I guess I could just because it's my inbox, too, I could give you guys some commentary and kind of how I look through some of this stuff. Um, one, I think this is like such a little thing, but with subject lines, I don't know. I don't think there's any data on this, but capitalizing the first letter of every word in the subject line, most of the people I email do not do that. Usually they will not capitalize any of the words or they'll only capitalize the first letter of the first word. Colby, with your emails that you're getting sent or even internal emails, maybe that you receive at Zoom Info, what do you notice in the subject lines of those? Um, I mean, for the ones that I send, I like to keep it short. I will kind of play around with capitalizing, you know, the second word or I'm not having it capitalized. But I mean, I typically keep the subject lines two or three words. Otherwise, though, if people are emailing me, I do see that a lot to where it'll be all lowercase, right? They won't capitalize every word of the subject line. Um, so I think that's you know, can be a great way to stand out. Um, and just again, you know, you're not putting somebody in a sequence or it's not an AI written email, um, just seems genuine and it's coming from another person. Yeah. Let's look at the data real quick. There's a bunch of different data. I really like this, this one, but sales loft's got some good data and what they showed here, if you're looking at the graph on the right is that Essentially, subject lines over five words tend to have lower open and reply rates. So keeping stuff under five words, I think Will Allred, we're probably going to mention him a couple times today, and, and, and Lavender, um, he likes to call it internal camouflage. So how do I make, I call them boring subject lines. How do I make the subject line, how do I err on the side of being really obvious versus being really clever? It's a lower caloric ex expenditure for me if I don't have to be so creative versus just really erring on the side of being super obvious. So keeping it under five words. And let's talk a little bit about types of subject line frameworks for a second before we move to the next part. Jen, I know you have a, a few different frameworks that you like to use in terms of things that you can call out in the subject line. What do you, uh, what do you recommend that the folks watching and listening here think about with subject lines in terms of frameworks and how to approach it? Yep. So in addition to the internal camouflage, which I love, particularly if you're selling to like SMB or you can't do a one-by-one -one approach, then you can get a lot of runway with that. 
My personal favorite is one I used all the time as an AE, which was the CEO comments email. So the thought behind the subject line is you put your prospects CEO's name and then the word comments. Um, and the idea behind that is if I were to get an email from my CEO, if I was still working at a company and it said comments, I'm immediately going to be like, did they say something about me? Was it bad? Was it good? And it's going to spark some curiosity. But the way that this falls completely apart is if we just use it to bait and switch our buyers. The reason I like it so much is because it also extends down to my preview text, that first line of text. So what I'll write is something that CEO said, wrote, commented, mentioned in a podcast that gave me a reason to believe that this company might have the problem that we solve. So an example I use a lot when I was selling would be, you know, Mary Smith's comments. Mary spoke about the 10 enterprise companies, your, you know, customers, your company landed last quarter. Seems like moving up market might be a focus. Do not use it to bait and switch your audience. Use it to force yourself to lead off your email with a really relevant starting point about the customer, not about us. Love it. Bob's comment in the chat. Bob. Highest open screening <laughs> order. Bob, thinking outside the box. What's up, Bob? Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, CEO's name comments. I mean, that's three words. It's hyper specific too, and it, and I feel like it doesn't require a ton of effort to, to, to really dig. Assuming that you know you've already found the nugget, you know, from the quarterly report or whatever it might be. Um, Colby, any other insights from you on subject lines in terms of things that you'll call out? Um, I know we'll we'll kind of touch on a couple of examples later on. Um, I mean, I'll usually use the triggers with my cold emails. You know, Zoom Info's technology, whether I know that they're searching for, let's say, sales leads, sales software, or maybe they visited our site and never submitted an interest inquiry. So I'll lean on those triggers for my subject lines, for example, you know, if they are a cleaning company, right? Maybe my subject line will just be cleaning needs, but totally agree with Jen there to where it's, you know, Hey, you don't want to bait and switch the prospect or the buyer, right? You don't want to be lying about your intentions so much so that they're just going to be upset. Probably never respond to you, you know, maybe send you the spam or junk. Um, but I like the idea of grabbing their attention but just avoiding that bait and switch and just starting off the relationship on the wrong foot. Yeah, being straightforward, I'll give you guys one other kind of tip too, is if there is something that is sort of an industry-wide problem, I had a client that sold an automated welding solution into like really large manufacturers. So the number one thing that they're dealing with right now is no one wants to get a blue collar job. So there's a shortage of welding talent and it was a really big demand for welders. And the subject line was one word and it was welders, 90 plus percent open rate. Perfect. So if there's something that's like super relevant, like across the board in the industry, that's a really, really good way to uh, to approach it as well. Um, okay, so that's subject lines. And you guys, I couldn't figure out how to get the YouTube live working. So I hope, hopefully there's not a bunch of your colleagues, our webinars hit capacity. So hopefully, apologize for to them for me, please. I feel bad. There's some people that can't get in. Um, keep the questions coming to you guys in the chat. So we got subject lines. Let's talk a little bit about formatting. 
I think that the once we get the person to open up the email, the format of the email itself is super important. Um, I want to launch another poll here. And let's see if I can do this one right. Let us know. Vote in the poll. Are you more likely to open an email on mobile or desktop first? What about you, Colby? Are you more likely to open up a, an email on your phone first or desktop first? Typically phone. Um, if I'm at my computer, I'll I'll do the desktop yeah. first. But um, yeah, I don't I don't wait to open emails before um, I'm back at my desk. Right, as soon as I get one, I'll open it up on my phone. And will you reply from your phone typically or from your desktop? Typically reply from my desktop unless it's, you know, a quick reply. Yeah. So I think that's that's pretty common. Uh, open first on mobile, reply from desktop. What about you, Jen? Do you typically open emails first on mobile or desktop? Mix of the two? Um, working hours, desktop, except for lunch. After hours, mobile. I don't sit at my computer more than I have to. Yeah, let me share this here. There we go. So we're about, I would I would call it 50-50 in terms of where people open up mobile first uh, versus desktop. What the data supports is, and let me share my screen here. The reason why I'm starting with this is mobile formatting is just so important. So if we look at optimizing your email for mobile. We're gonna get really specific and tactical with this. Um, Lavender's got some great data on this. Prospects are eight times more likely to open your email on phone versus desktop. So if you look at the email on the left, and we're gonna break down a couple emails, but I'll start with you, Jen. Like when you look at that email, let's just look at the formatting. From a formatting perspective, what feels like a lot of work? with that email in terms of consuming the content. It's just big chunky paragraphs, right? If we watch how anyone who writes on LinkedIn, that's a quote unquote influencer writes, we all like complain about it. It's like, oh, there's too much white space. It's one sentence, but there's a purpose behind it. There's a psychology behind it, which is if I don't know you, I'm unlikely to read your baby sweet novel that you've written for me. I am likely to read one sentence and decide does that sentence merit me reading the next sentence? So when you see a big chunky paragraph, when you see commas, when you see indirect sentence structure, instead, so instead of like writing a direct sentence, writing like a based on my observation of X comma, these are all things that just equate to more effort for the reader and more effort from someone that they'd never met before is just probably something they're not willing, often willing to give us. Yeah, so like the skimmability of the email, like if we look at this one specifically, yeah, that like third paragraph, I don't know about you, it's like your my eyes almost glaze over when I try to read it. Yeah. The other thing too is that this entire email, it didn't fit with like, I have to scroll in order to read the rest of the email. So optimizing just from a format perspective, there's a couple things here from a data perspective. I mean, Mobile-friendly emails, they just get 83% more replies. That's that's the big thing that you need to know. Um, I know a lot of the data supports under 50 words, but I found around 75-ish or less words will typically have the highest reply rate. No need to scroll on mobile. And to give you guys a good visual here, that email there on the right, that's what it looks like on desktop. This is honestly not the worst cold email that I've seen. It's, it's definitely personalized. I mean, 
turn complete strangers into paying customers. This is like, that's our tagline. So this person definitely, you know, researched me. I don't run Facebook ads, unfortunately. So they, they kind of really missed the mark there, but not a terrible looking email on desktop. But when you look at that same email on a email, excuse me, on a mobile device, I don't, I just don't even want to read that email on the right. Uh, Colby, how do you think about like the formatting component of your emails in terms of like how you decide to structure them, like length of the email? Because I noticed you have some emails, we're going to look at some of them. Some are really short, some are really long. Some of the longer ones I noticed though are very, like they're very customized for that like industry and that mm -hmm. person. But how do you kind of think about like length of email and all of that kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, you know, I think it depends on the scenario right? Like who you're emailing, why you're, re why are you reaching out to them? Um, but pretty much everything that you mentioned is what I like to think about, right? And when I'm thinking about an email, I try to grab their attention within that first or second set sentence. Um, cause then they'd read more or at least be interested in starting up a conversation, right? I don't want to, I guess, call out too many features or functionality that we offer. I don't want to you know, over-assume the problems that they might be facing. Um, I don't want to just get right to it with my emails or with a lot of the emails, but certainly situational depending on who I'm reaching out to, if they've engaged with Zoom Info, if they're familiar with us, or even if I've had a conversation with them in the past, but it just, you know, hadn't turned into an opportunity or much more than that. Yeah, so getting straight to the point as quickly as possible. And again, we're going to show you guys some examples of uh, what good looks like here in a second. I wanted to answer. So Ryan Taylor asked a question. Let me know what you two think. What would you consider a bad, decent, and good open rate? So what's kind of like the red, yellow, green for open rates? So I've got a, I was going back and forth with Gavin on this in the chat. I don't love looking at open rates because I think, isn't it Apple? Apple like open, technically opens your email before you actually open your email. And so I'm less fussed about what my open rate is because it could be massively inflated and give me a like a false signal. I'm way more concerned with what my reply rate is because my reply rate is what's going to tell me if I have effective copy or not. I think the average reply rate, and Jason, tell me where I'm off, is somewhere between like 1% and 3%, which is terrible, but we accept it as oh. a norm. Um, I will tell you like my, re my reply rate for cold emails is 42%. And that means that I don't have to send a thousand cold emails. Now, is that realistic for everybody? Probably not. But I would say if you can get in the neighborhood of 20%, that's a terrific signal that you're writing really relevant copy and you're prompting people to give you a reply. Whether it's good or bad is kind of outside of your hands. A lot of that falls due to timing, but at least get a reply, which is information that allows us to act. Colby, what about you? Yeah, I definitely agree there. Um, I mean, you make a you know great point to where these servers they are opening the emails, so you're getting those false open rates. But I mean, even if they're opening their email and they're not replying to you, or opening your email not replying to you, then it's not really a win for you, right? The messaging still isn't necessarily working if they're opening the email and then never replying to you, right? I mean, yeah. you know, I like looking at the reply rates and then. Also, ultimately, the conversion rates as far as, hey, are they interested in setting up a meeting with me as opposed to replying and saying not interested Maybe because I lost them with that first email so they don't want any more? Yeah. So I have a different answer. 
Um, I would look at, so I, I do think that open rates are a vanity metric. So I, people overly focus on it and they do get inflated. It's not just Apple. It's every large corporation you email is their spam filter is going to open up the email for the most part, if it gets to that point. I would be really concerned if the open rate wasn't at least 40%. That's, that's like a good, like that would be a green to me. Uh, yellow around 30%, anything under 20% would be a red. It's a good high level indicator if the email is going through or not. But with that being said, once you start to get in that five to 10% plus reply rate, you can turn open tracking off on the emails too. Open tracking along with click tracking does affect deliverability. Yeah. So once you have a good performing campaign, like you can turn open tracking off. Um, okay, so that's sort of high level. Um, let's keep going on this. I have one more kind of visual that I want to show on how people read emails that I thought was pretty interesting and what your guys' take on. So... Corporate Visions and Vidyard did an eye tracking study. I don't know if you guys have seen this before. And they basically followed people's eye movement with how they read emails on the desktop. Do, do you guys both have a separate like monitor that's like a widescreen? Mm -hmm. Okay. A lot of people do. So what this is essentially showing you here is that the area in red, this is where people tend to focus most of their attention. And the parts in green as it goes lighter is where they spend less attention. So keep in mind, when you have an email that has really long sentences or paragraphs with multiple sentences in it, it's going to stretch literally across the entire screen. People just don't read that shit. They're not going to scroll and read the rest of those things. So formatting is just so good. Uh, so important, excuse me. Um, Fionn Barra, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly. So what's your stats on a good performing campaign for reply rates, click-throughs, and opens? Let's talk about reply rate benchmarks too. The average is, yeah, it's around 1%. What would you guys consider a green? Let's say, what, what would be really good? Like you're pretty happy with this. Want me to go first, Colby, or are you? Sure, you, you can go first. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just if you think about our most finite resource as salespeople, it's our time. So I do not want to be writing 100 emails to get one reply I would think in general, I want to be somewhere between 20 to 30%. Now, I want to say a caveat to that, right? I've always sold into enterprise and large mid-market customers. So I'm not emailing a thousand people at a time, like crossing my fingers being like, I hope someone replies. So I do think there's nuances based on what segment you sell into. That said, if I'm taking the time to write relevant personalized emails and I'm getting one out of 100 replying back there's something wrong with my approach for writing relevant personalized emails yeah i i think for me um i mean reply rate even a 10 to 20 percent would be i think a green flag for me it you know of course depends on maybe what industry you're reaching out to um if it's completely cold if they've ever heard of you before or if they've ever met with you before obviously those things go into effect, but, you know, some of the cold emails that I'm writing, you know, I'm utilizing Zoom info or showcasing Zoom info. So it's pretty quick for me to turn it around. Um, and if I can get, you know, one or two meetings off of 10 emails that I send out, I would think that's positive um, for me, um, especially if we're thinking about industries who 
you know, maybe are a little less responsive to a sales or marketing person. I mean, let's be real, you guys. If if people in here were getting 10% plus reply rates across the board, they would be jumping up and down out of joy. Like that's like, uh, let us know in the chat, actually. What's your reply rate? Let us know in the chat. What is your typical reply rate to the emails that you send? This will give us kind of a, this should have been a poll. This is going to absolutely blow up the chat, but let us know <laughs> in the in the chat, what is your typical reply rate? Yeah, I really think double digit is is pretty good. If if you're getting one out of every 10 people to respond to you, you're doing pretty good, especially if you're doing a mix of automation and, and a mix of you know kind of manual personalized stuff. Yeah, we're all over the board. But yeah, yeah I agree. If you have a reply rate of one percent, I mean that's that's rough. I'm almost asking myself at that point, is cold email even a channel I should be focused on? And can I get better results somewhere else? That's a that's a lot of effort. Interesting. So hopefully if you guys are struggling, if anyone's struggling here a little bit with your reply rate, this makes you feel a little bit better. <laughs> uh, let's take a look at one more piece of data here, and then we'll get into showing some different types of examples. Uh, I want to talk about call to actions. I don't agree with all of Gong's data, honestly, and cold emails. There's, there's some stuff I thought that was like, ah, you know, like bump emails they don't really like and and using really long follow-up emails. It's like, I don't know, I just don't see that in the in the clients that I work with. But this I thought was really interesting. The call to action. So asking more than one question reduces reply rates by 26%. That was a great one from Lavender. And then this concept of interest-based CTAs. I think one of the biggest mistakes I see, if again, the goal is to reduce mental effort for the prospect, a lot of emails it's like look at this case study and do you have time to chat with me it's asking for more than one thing at a time and my thought has always been you can always send another email like i can always bump this email with a case study but uh jen we'll kick this first question your way in terms of call to actions how do you think about like the ask in the email and what you're asking the buyer to do I think for most of us, we all grew up learning that cold emails follow a very similar structure, which is like, here's who I am. Here's the company I work for. Here's why it's the best thing since sliced bread. Here's a bunch of case studies or ROI facts. And do you have time to meet on Thursday? And because we've all been taught that, because most of us follow that, buyers have gotten smart to that too. So they scan right to the bottom of the email and they see do you have 20 minutes on Thursday? And then they know without even reading the rest of the email, this is a cold email. So it's not to say your email sucks. It's just, it's again, it's a recognizable pattern. And so my philosophy is like, you you can't get a prospect to be interested in a solution until you get them to become interested in the problem your solution solves. So my personal opinion is like, make your call to action less about, can I book a meeting? And more about, Am I off base or am I in the right track with how I'm articulating this problem? Because one, I think you, what I've experienced is you get more answers, right? Because if, if you're actually genuinely showing up being like, I'm putting thought into your business and hypothesizing what I think your problem might be, people will more often than not throw you a bone because you're not one of the people that's just blasting everybody with here's who we are and why we're great messages. But two, it's a way more low effort answer. Like if I get someone, and I'm not a senior executive, I'm, I'm nobody important. But if I get someone in my inbox showing up, talking all about themselves and being like, can I get 20 minutes of your time to talk some more about myself? I don't even feel like it's like 
I have to answer that. And so I think it's really important we look at our emails and say, is this the way I would behave if I was meeting someone for the first time at a party? I probably would never, ever behave like that. But I do it in emails because emails are blind and we just send them out. Yeah. So talking about them first before you make the ask and making the ask not, do you want to see my product or demo necessarily? It's more about, do you want to, do you have this problem or not, or not? Or do you want to hear how other people have solved this problem? Uh, Colby, how do you think about the ask in the email and the call to action? Yeah, I, I mean, I used to always ask them, hey, are you free tomorrow at XYZ time? Otherwise, you know, how about Friday or Thursday or make that specific ask as far as asking for the meeting. Um, but now I've reduced it to, you know, maybe a worth exploring question mark or interested in learning more question mark. And then for some of the emails that I send out, I, I will say got 15 minutes to connect on this question mark. And that's probably, you know, more along the lines of the specific or even an open-ended call to action. But in some of those examples, I mean, I'm, I'm jumping right to the point. I'm showing something that's relevant to them, something that could impact them. And for me, I mean, my ultimate goal is to book the meeting, right? For Zoom Info, you know, I think really we're a fit for anybody that sells or markets B2B, um, yep. but not everyone can see that. They might think of Zoom Info as a digital address book or a company that offers phone numbers and emails um, to where my goal really is to you know, get them on the meeting. If they're interested in driving new business, they have capacity to drive new business. I want to get them on the meeting so that I can show them, you know, truly how we can help um, rather than them, them maybe, you know, having some preconceived notions about who we are, what we do, you know, what our pricing is or any, any of the, um, you know, any of that sort of deal. Yep. So you guys wanted to see some examples. So here you go. So on the left end, they're the open-ended CTAs, the highest friction. So the most effort to reply to is open-ended questions. So asking, do you have this problem or does this resonate with you is different than asking, how are you handling this or what? So try to avoid open-ended questions there at the end of the email. You see the specific CTAs. I think we're, we've probably all been very conditioned to ask for time. Those are pretty familiar. And there's a bunch of different variations of interest-based CTAs too. Open to learning more, worth a quick conversation. Would it hurt to share more, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of summarizes the data portion. We got about 20 minutes here. I, th I thought what we could do here, you guys, is maybe dig into the framework and then some example emails. So let's, uh, let's start first. And if you guys could, there's a bunch of questions in the Q&A. Drop a question in there if you have it. You guys can also upvote your favorite questions and we'll try to get to as many of them as we can. Um, can you guys see this all right? The text, can you read it okay? It's a little small. So Colby, walk us through what we're looking at here on the screen. This is a really cool email that you guys send. Yeah, so. And, and let me actually, if you want to describe the approach real quick, let me tweak the slide. I'll make the text a little bit bigger. Um, yeah, the approach, forget exactly how I found this company, believe they were spiking on intent on zoom infos, intent around, you know, sales leads or sales software, but really I just went to their site. I quickly noticed that they had multiple, uh, platforms or softwares that they integrate with. 
Um, and of course, you know, we have a great intent topic for them. So I guess my, you know, idea of reaching out to this person was, you know, again, just getting straight to the point. Um, as far as Zoom info, right, we're not only going to be able to tell you what companies are in market, but also what technologies they're using. And then, of course, you know, everything that comes along with the company information as far as the decision makers, you know, cell phones, emails, direct dials. But my approach for this was just, you know, straight to the point, right? Show the software basically what they'd be looking at if they were using the software today and then asking for the meeting. Um, did set up a meeting with with this individual. Um, but really, I just wanted to grab their attention because this is just one of the many solutions that we offer and one of the many ways that we can help. And I think this solution can solve a lot of different problems as well, whether it's lack of pipeline, lack of engagement, um, or maybe just wasting time on people who aren't in market or you know, aren't great fits. Uh, there's so much that's implied in this email that you just don't even have to really talk about almost, right? Um, I think the play here is if you guys sell, I'm assuming most of the folks on this call probably sell software or at least some sort of professional service. If you guys can point out something in your solution that addresses a problem, or even if you took it a step further and pointed out something on their website, adding imagery into the email can be really powerful. But the cool thing about intent is you basically, Colby here, you just said, hey, you guys sell this thing and want to get in front of these people. Did you know that there's a big list of people, like potential customers, like searching for your product right now? It's pretty cool. Yeah. And it follows all of the kind of principles. It's got the short subject line, company's ERG needs. It's straight to the point, like really short. I mean, there's three sentences in here and then an image. Super straightforward yeah. and to the point. Um, we should talk about deliverability as well. Do you ever think about or notice any drop in open or reply rates when you drop multimedia into an email versus plain text? I know that's a big kind of hot topic right now. I've heard that before. Um, I haven't experienced it too much myself. I mean, this isn't an email though, that I'm also, I'm not, you know, ripping, replacing it and sending it out to, you know, a thousand people over the course of the month. Um, personally, I haven't run into too many deliverability issues, maybe because these are you know, much more targeted and I'm not blasting them at scale. Um, but I have seen that been talked about on LinkedIn, but not something that I've run into. Yeah, I think if you're customizing it, I'm curious your thoughts on this too, Jen. If you're if you're customizing the emails and you're not sending out too many of them in bulk that are exactly the same, that's going to affect deliverability. The only other thing that I've seen is if you guys are going to drop imagery or anything into an email, make sure make sure your uh, email signature doesn't have a bunch of like hyperlinks and all of that kind of stuff in it. A good rule of thumb is like one link per email, and your signature counts as well, and that. Yeah, that might frustrate a lot of them, your guys' marketing departments. But uh, email signature, try to keep it plain text if possible. Um, Jen, deliverability, anything, any comments from you on deliverability and things to make sure that the uh, inbox makes it through or the email I makes would, it through? Yeah, one, I would say if you want to learn about de deliverability, follow Jesse Olette. I'll put his name in the chat. He, I think I'm constantly learning from him. I'm not a deliverability yep. expert. 
But my opinion on it is this, Jason, your point was phenomenal. If you're going to send mass emails, like you want to remove as many potential risk factors as possible. Risks are emails, attachments, images, calendar links. Like you're just making an already hard job harder by throwing something like that into the mix. I do, do think there's some questions on here around like Vidyard links and videos. Um, I think it's really good to A-B test different tactics but recognize that everybody's communication preferences are different. Like I hate receiving videos because it means that I have to stop whatever I'm doing, watch a video and then go back. I love plain text because I can read it while I'm in a meeting. I don't represent every single buyer that is out there. And that's why I think it's so important that regardless of what you do, you A-B test different tactics to see what works for your unique persona, your unique customer base. And we were talking about this before we launched too. If you're going to use any type of multimedia, whether images or video, use it as a way to enhance the message. So like in Colby's email, he could have dropped a video in there too. If you wanted to, it would have probably taken more effort, but it's like, um, hey, Colby found 200 companies looking for ERG services. Record a quick video to show you how you can find that information yourself. Or... Uh, I, I worked with another company that sells into contact centers. So the big problem they solve is when people can't answer their own question on the website, they pick up the phone and call. And ironically, contact centers, they don't want people to call because <laughs> that drives up the cost. So if you sent an email that said, hey, notice the big problem in reason why customers might be calling unnecessarily into your contact center, included a video here, like that's probably going to get watched. So you got to think about how am I using the multimedia to enhance the message that I'm trying to send? Um, okay, so let's take a look at a couple of other emails here. Uh, Jen, this is one of yours that I pulled. Let's take a look here. And if you could kind of break down for us just the, there's some data points here that you brought to the equation. And then also just kind of generally the thinking behind the, the framework here. Yeah. So I think when we hear personalization, I think most of us run to, well, I've got to find like some fun freaking fact about this person. And the way that it's often executed actually ends up feeling pretty icky to the buyer. So the example I give a lot is I love rescue dogs. People might see me post about it and be like, I love rescue dogs too. Anyway, we're the leading provider of leads for companies. And it's just like, I know what you're doing. You're trying to check a box. What I'm trying to show in this example, this was an email I rewrote for one of my clients. Um, where they had started with something that felt a little bit too forced. Like yeah. it was just way too much in the vein of trying to be personalized. I think you can be personalized by showing this is an email that I can't send to anybody else. So this exact email is, you know, showing, hey, I shopped at your Chicago store last year, last week. The associate there gave me a perfect recommendation for my sister's birthday present. My hypothesized problem is like, that's probably really hard to do without a human being but you've got a huge volume of customers that shop on Nordstrom.com. Wouldn't it be cool if you could take the thing that makes Nordstrom so awesome, which is this personalized customer service and bring that into your online portal. And then I'm using social proof, not to say like Toyota did this and saw a million percent, bleh, whatever. It's so salesy. I'm just saying Toyota did this. So do you want to see how they did it? So when we talk about call to actions that are not your calendar link or ask for times or things like that, this is what I'm talking about with problem prompting. We are trying to see, is this something that this customer or prospect even wants to do? Because if they don't want to do this, if they don't care about it, 
I could have the sexiest solution in the world. It does not matter. So seek interest before we seek getting the meeting book to talk about our solution. This is also a great way to find hand raisers. I mean, you're really just looking as a account executive, especially you're trying to figure out where to spend your time. And if you can get people to reply to an email with interest, these are people I can, I can then, I'm, I'm assuming Colby, probably what you do when someone replies to an email, is, do you try calling them when they reply? Yeah, typically, um, unless they you, are asking to set up a call or say, hey, yeah, do you have time tomorrow afternoon to set up a call, for example? It just happens. I know that you guys are big at Zoom Info, obviously, big phone heavy culture, but mm -hmm. just picking up the phone and being able to prioritize your effort around that is really key. Um, the other thing here that's mentioned, Jen, is the PS. Uh, so increase yes. in positive reply rates by 26% if you use a PS. And I know we don't, have, we don't have a PS necessarily on this email, but that little part right below our, our name, how do you think about incorporating that real estate? This is perfect when you find something that you are excited about that is unique, but has nothing to do with the body of the email. Instead of leading with it and then having that awkward moment where you're like, saw you love shelter dogs, like we're the leading provider of whatever, put it in a PS because as Jason showed, like your buyer is just scanning kind of the first part. Often what they are, tr they've trained themselves to do is look at the bottom to see if there's a request for time. If they see something uniquely personal to them, like Jen saw you volunteer at animal Evanston animal shelter. I've got two rescues myself. That's now prompting me to say, okay, this was written for me. I had one of these today where someone referenced my LinkedIn beef with Kyle SA or AC. I always say his name wrong out of disrespect. And I was like, okay, this is someone who has clearly been paying attention. I'm going to go back up. So PSs are only used by 4% of senders selling cold emails. We got a long way to go before that's like a trend. Yeah, it's such a great, because uh, there was another eye tracking study that I, I don't have like the actual study or the image to show, unfortunately, on this deck, but there was one that showed how people read an individual email in terms of where they start. And it was, they literally, most people will read the first four or five words of the email and they'll go to the very end of the email to just figure out what does this person want? And oftentimes what, what's at the end of your email, it's the PS, right? So it's it's getting the most attention of the email. So putting something personalized into there can be pretty good too. Um, let's show another email and then uh, I would love to just open up for Q&A. There's a couple of people that have given specific situations that I thought would be really good to just maybe kind of help them brainstorm a bit. So this is a very similar type of approach. So this is a client that I worked with that sells what's called an electronic document capture solution. So they reach out to people that want to start clinical trials. And the biggest problem with launching these clinical clinical trials is they do it through Excel spreadsheets and it delays startup dates. So this is that email. Subject line, two words. I'm giving the reason, saw that you just got FDA approval, the problem, manual paper systems, delaying startup dates, social proof. We help people like you get this down to under four weeks, which industry standards like three to six months typically worth a quick chat. And then we get double digit reply rates running this play. Look for a clinical trial that was recently launched. Talk the, about the fact that we noticed they got approval. Talk about a common problem with manual spreadsheets and just talk about how you've helped someone else. It's super, super just straightforward and simple. So that's another example. The, the kind of general framework here is 
something along these lines. I'm going to have a boring subject line and we'll send this deck out to you guys afterwards. It's less than five words. I need a reason why I'm reaching out. Some sort of problem I'm going to talk about. Social proof. So a similar customer that we've worked with. And then call to action. Under 75 words, 50 is really ideal, but short paragraphs, et cetera, that's, that's the framework. Before we get into any kind of Q&A, Colby, Jen, anything that we didn't talk about today that you think would be good to reinforce with the group before we uh, answer a couple questions? Colby, I'll defer to you first. Sure. Um, Jason, I know we we kind of talked about this um, a little bit a couple weeks ago. Um, but, you know, Zoom Info, of course, I can sell to a multitude of different industries. A lot of times I will like to pick out a couple different industries that I'll focus on. And I'll be prospecting into those industries, whether it's, you know, looking for natural urgency within the industry trends or trends within the industry. But I like to stick into particular industries at a time so that I can start to learn their lingo and understand what the common pain points are and pretty much just understand their lingo so that when I do get them on a meeting or get them on a call, I'm, you know, I, I'm seen as an expert within their space, even though I don't necessarily work in their space. Um, so I think that can that can be helpful, especially if you do end up getting somebody on the phone and you know, they maybe have one of those couple quick objections that's kind of specific or unique to their industry. I think you mentioned something just broader, speaking more broadly about it, that's so important. If you guys are like Colby and you sell into how many different industries do you sell into? All, all B2B industries. Um, so. Yeah, so like like literally there are dozens of different types of companies you could reach out to. I think a really good best practice is to like really look at where am I winning the most deals and landing the most qualified meetings right now and like really honing it down to like two or three. And you're going to see those patterns where you win the most in that language. You can really just start to get down and create some repeatable patterns. Um, let's do some Q&A, you guys. I thought this one would be fun. Andy... Alcoster, I think is how he pronounced his last name. He said, I work for a radio station. We sell advertising to small and mid-sized businesses. I would love an idea of what you might say in an email. What ideas do we have for Andy in terms of things he might be able to pick out about these businesses or hooks or problems he might be able to talk about in the email? So I'm happy to start. I think Andy the first question I would ask myself is like, what is the problem that my customer is trying to solve by pulling the advertising lever, right? So if I'm looking at a particular industry segment, because I'm assuming you're not going to do a one-by-one -one approach here, like let's say I pick, I don't know, um, dentist offices, super sexy. Um, I am going to look at dental practices and try to think about right now, today, what do I imagine is the single hardest thing for someone who opens a new dental practice? I will hypothesize, and I might be wrong, and this is part of the, the journey, gang, but I will hypothesize that people who open dental practices do not go to school for marketing and advertising. They also don't go to school for back office admin. And so marketing and advertising is something they have to do that they know very little about. So my actual approach would be probably more leaning into the problem of how do I, a really great dentist, get smart on the best ways to capture attention from my target market in my area? So I would lean more into, you've got a knowledge gap there probably from your potential prospects. What can you share with them that gets them smart on that topic as a whole 
so that they then look to you and say, okay, Andy's got some good ideas here. What does Andy do? Right. So I don't think we necessarily have to lean right into, let me tell you why you should buy ad space or ad copy from us and advertise on the radio. Cause I think it's a really hard sell. I think what you can first do is say, what can I share with this person that gets them thinking differently about the job that is really hard for them, which is making marketing decisions when they have no marketing background. So that would kind of be my go-to. Colby? Yeah, I I agree with that. I think in any, in any case, you want to put yourself in the prospect or the buyer's shoes, right? I mean, if they just opened up a dental practice, they might be getting a lot of messaging, you know, from companies that offer similar services. So I would think just trying to stand out with, I guess, that first line or that second line and really just putting yourself into your shoe, into the shoes of your prospect um, to try to gain that interest, right? I would, you know, I'm almost trying to think of how, you know, I might leverage Zoom info in that scenario, but yeah, maybe even just a call to action as far, not a call to action, but just pointing out you know, hey, what if we did this, right? Or what if your ad was here, for example? You know, it might be a good way to just grab their attention and get them to start talking to you or setting up a meeting. Yep. One other thing I would add, just a general principle for everyone too, is look for evidence that they care about doing the thing that your solution helps with. So for example, advertising, really it helps with awareness. So what are they currently doing for advertising? So do they have Facebook ads? Do they have LinkedIn ads? Are they promoting jobs on their socials? Like what are they promoting and what's going on right now? And that is evidence in like a, a cookie crumbs essentially that you can find that they care about doing the things that your solution could help with. Um, here, let's take a couple more. So Tristan Jones asked, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but how many emails do you usually send before getting a reply? What do you recommend is a good number of touch points? I mean, the sequencing data and cadences really supports 12 to 15 touches over the course of three to four weeks, typically across email, phone, and social. And usually that's somewhere between six and eight emails over that time, six and eight phone calls, a couple social touches. In your guys' experience, maybe a better question to ask here is, after that first email, what do you send next? What are your guys' thoughts on bump emails? Do we thread them into the same email chain? What do we think? I, I personally hate bump emails. I think it's, I wrote about this yesterday. I think it's like the equivalent of walking up to a hostess at a restaurant stand and being like, I'm waiting for my table. Like, we know you're waiting, girl, sit down. I personally think that one, if I look at my own past. I assumed that people were reading my emails and just like not responding. And it was my job to call it back to the top of their inbox. What I did not see as a salesperson is this is a common cadence step in so many sellers cadences. And so it's not necessarily but like thoughts or bump is bad. And by the way, it works. I'm not saying it doesn't work. I just don't want to sound like every other seller in their inbox and thoughts is not differentiated. It's not unique. So my typical approach is to say, let me revisit this prospect. Let me revisit my one problem assumption I led within my first email. And let me take another stab at a problem assumption number two. The other thing that this does is it prevents me from sending kitchen sink emails on my first go where I'm like, do you have any of these problems? Like I, maybe if I throw them all out there, you'll, you know, one will hit the dartboard. So by forcing myself to start with one problem, it allows me to then 
cycle through a range of problems. I don't think there's a dead set number of I've reached out X number of times because you might just have someone who doesn't look at their emails. And that's why I think it's important to pick up the phone, send LinkedIn DMs, use all the channels available to all of us. Well, yeah, I, that's what I was going to say as well. I mean, I wouldn't just sit back and, and hope that they reply to the email, right? I mean, in between the email and likely even before I do send the email, I'm going to be picking up the phone and calling them, right? I'll connect with them on LinkedIn, maybe send them a message on LinkedIn. Um, I like your thoughts, Jen, around, you know, what did I assume or what did I, you know, what problem did I lead with on the first email? And then how can I reframe this or do a different problem led for the second email? Um, I like that as well. And again, I think it's pretty situational. You know, if I email somebody a cold email and then the next day or two days later, I see them on our site, see them on our website and they still haven't replied to me, maybe I'll send them a screenshot of them on the website being like, Hey, I saw you're on the site. Um, you know, how do you think your sales team would do with this technology? Or, you know, what if your sales team could know whenever somebody was on your pricing page, for example? Um, so kind of just like doubling down on that, or maybe I'll just send over an example of that intent um, and a real-time example. Cool. We got to run you guys. I'll give my short hot take on bumped emails. Uh, I think that if you can do variations, the, the concept and principle here is that it's one sentence. So it could be, oh, by the way, here's a case study with XYZ company, or here's how XYZ company solved this problem linked to a case study. Um, are you interested in hearing how company dealt with this? Right? Want to see how this company got this outcome? Like one sentence is kind of the key with the bumps. Um, we got to go, everyone. Make sure to check out Zoom Info. Drop the link there in the chat. We'll send the deck and stuff out to you guys afterwards. But this was really awesome. Colby, Jen, thanks for spending the last hour with us. And uh, everyone else, thanks, thanks for all the engagement and all of that great stuff. That's all we got for you guys today. Thank you we so will see much. Ya. Yep. Thanks, everyone. Have a good one. Thank you, everyone. Later. Bye.